0: Man, I think I'm on. Thank you, worship team. Uh, amazing. Um, yeah, and and you know it's it's so it's so wonderful being in a place where we don't just come and sing songs. Yeah, to to worship with you guys who actually come to love Jesus and adore Him is it's an amazing thing. So thank you uh, to everyone who's just here to. Love Jesus, you know. Um, so, whew, um, so some of you know, most of you know, I guess that I, that I teach at Taylor, and and there I'm paid to lecture five times a week. Um, I don't I don't preach to lecture, okay. So, um, in other words, I don't want you to just kind of turn your spirit and your heart off and turn your mind on, okay. That's not what we're after. Um, I try. I try and, and say what what I believe the Lord is saying to us as a house, and what He's saying to us as His sons and daughters. Okay, so and some of this will get you through your head. Some will have to, will get to you through your heart and your spirit. Okay, so um, stay connected with what the Holy Spirit is doing in you after worship or through worship. Um, so we are we're going to carry on with our, our series in Acts. Um, I really want to have time for more worship at the end, so I'm going to try to finish my sermon. But who knows? Um, I've tried to keep it short. But man, you know, when you, when you start boring into Scripture, there's just so much every time. There's so much to say. Um, so I, I, there's parts of, um, I want to get, get through Acts 3 and Acts 4, at least part of it. Uh, but some of it I'm going to come back to because there's some other themes that we're going to pick up later. Um, and just a reminder, I, I think there's some new faces here tonight as well. Um, so as we're going through Acts, we, we, we're thinking about three things in particular. Okay? So the fact that we can look at Acts as a ministry manual. Okay? It's the way that God designed his church to be. It's not an extravagant display of his scripture that he put there for us to read about. All right? So we read it knowing that it is normative for us. It's, it's, it's an example for us. The second thing that we want to think about as we're going through this is that the Holy Spirit um, is leading his church and leading men and women into experiences of God that is making them have to question the way they understand God. Okay. And that, the way they understand they're supposed to be godly or follow God or be faithful for good and bad. Okay. And, that, and that's a challenge for us. Um, I I have 100% confidence, maybe not tonight, but sometime in this series, I am going to offend you. Okay. Okay. And, and that will mean one of two things. I'm right or you're right. Okay. And if I'm right and you're offended, then the Lord has healing to do. And if I'm wrong and you're right, come and tell me. And I will seek healing. Okay. Offense is a wonderful thing to show us where we're wrong quite often. All right, the third thing that we're always looking at as we're going through Acts is the revelation of Jesus, that Acts is Jesus revealed. So any time, and I'm, I'll try not to change between the two, but any time I, I, I say Holy Spirit, I mean Jesus. Because right? the Holy Spirit's sole purpose is to lead people into truth about Jesus. So, he cannot do anything that is outside of Jesus as well. Okay? He is the revelation of Jesus. So, let's look for the way that Jesus is revealed in these chapters. Um, so, a fourth theme that I mentioned two weeks or three weeks ago, we're going to see today if we get there, is that the Holy Spirit brings opposition. So, let's go to Acts 3. We've got quite a lot of scripture to read. I might skip over a verse or two. We'll do three and then see how time goes. We'll try and get into four. Now, Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them walking, leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew it was he who sat begging arms at the beautiful gates of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now as a lame man who was healed, held on to Peter and John... All the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as it also your rulers But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets, that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted, so that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was priest to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers. Saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, God, having raised up His servant Jesus, sent Him to bless you, in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. So that's Acts three. Like I said, we could spend weeks just unpacking that, but I'm going to draw it as I said, the things that I, I believe what believe God is wanting to say to us as His body. Um, I'm I'm sure. I'm sure like me that there, there are scriptures which you read which, which grab your attention and maybe they, maybe they even seem to taunt you, they captivate you. Um, and these words do that to me right at the beginning. When Peter says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. That phrase, what I do have I give you. This is, um, you know, it's amazing. Peter doesn't ask God to heal this man. There's no begging. There's no, Lord, will you do this? He grabs him by the hand and picks him up. And in this action of faith, muscles, tendons, bones that have never worked in 40 years are restored. And I'm presuming that there's all sorts of atrophy and other things in his muscles that God restores at the same time because he goes from not walking for 40 years to leaping and jumping. So, this is restoration far beyond just ankles. And it's, and it's profound. But these words, they, they, they taught me because, um, on, on the one hand, they're so simple. What I have, okay? The Samaritan woman says, I have no husband. Jesus says, I have many sheep. No, I just have. I have, I don't have. I have. Peter has. What I have. Do you think if we say that a thousand times in the mirror, that we might start to get it? I have. I have. I have. But we do have to wait to well for the 16th verse before we see what he actually is talking about. And he says, his name. Through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And it's you know what Peter what Peter displays in Acts three is the great thing about Acts. You know, Jesus promises in Acts one, go to Jerusalem, wait, you'll receive the Holy Spirit and power. And then you will preach my name to the ends of the earth. We don't have to wait long to see this start happening. Just two chapters. We know in Acts 2, there's this mention of signs and wonders. Um, Maybe they are all within the community. We have no details. We just just have the statement, you know, signs and wonders uh, occurred. This is the first one where we actually have detail of what happened. And again, there's, there's no begging. There's no pleading of the Lord to heal him. He just grabs him by the hand, declares the name of Jesus, And Peter is operating in the delegated authority of Jesus. That authority that he gives the disciples when he sends them out, when Jesus is still on the earth, and it's the power that he says he will give them at Pentecost, which they received in Acts 2. This is clearly, as Peter tells us, this is not his power. And I think we all believe him, don't we? Like, he's not some sort of superhuman. And that's one of the things that I love about the New Testament. The two preeminent people for me, I'm not sure about Bible scholars' Bill, but the two preeminent people for me are Peter and Paul. And if Peter and Paul were to be in our midst, do you think we would have cancelled them a long time ago? Before Acts 2. Peter, the guy who used violence to defend Jesus. Peter, the guy who saw he didn't know him and abandoned him in his most vulnerable state. Peter, when the resurrected Christ was standing before him on the beach and asked you, you love me, was not able to say I love you with all my heart and all I am. This is the man that God chooses to use. And Paul, the man who kills Christians. How many Christians have you guys killed today? Zero, Becca, good, well done. That's... Like it's, that's a pretty high bar. The Lord says, I will take the worst, the man who's the most religious, who hates me the most, who kills my children, and I will use him to spread my gospel. And part of the reason I believe he uses Peter and he uses Paul is that we don't get to disqualify ourselves. Right, Paul didn't know Jesus. He encounters Jesus after, or at the Damascus Road, and then afterwards. He didn't know Jesus personally. Peter knew Jesus personally and still messed up hugely. And Peter is clear, we are not perfect. This is not by our perfection. It's not by our power, but by the name of Jesus. And in that, he opens this faith up for all of us, and I don't know about you, uh, you know, and again, I'm sure you learned this at Taylor and other Bible studies, and this is good, but faith, faith seems to be the most simple and the most complex thing in, in the world. It's like, just believe. Zach, like, just believe. Well done, you believe. I know you believe. Okay, it's so simple to embrace, and yet, it, yeah, we, uh, is it just that we make it complex? I'm not sure that Jesus does. It might just be us. We, we get some clues about faith um, and you know, some troublesome scripture when um, Jesus has brought this boy that is possessed by a demon. And the and your father says to Jesus, This is Mark 9, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Jesus exclaims, If you can? If? Everything is possible for him who believes. And there's almost a sarcastic, cynical if here. But it's not if. (laughs) I'm the son of God, okay? If. No, everything is possible for him who believes. Not just for me. For him who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. I know I've prayed that. I'm sure everyone in this room has prayed that. I believe, but I know there's more. Help me. And Jesus, his response to the father, you know, these words, they scare me a little bit. And he says, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And of course, Jesus casts this demon out of the boy and he's fully restored. But if we're honest, <laughs> Jesus, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. Are we a faithless generation? Um, and I'm not, I don't mean this in a condemning way. This is, this is just to challenge us, okay? Like if Jesus' standard is a demon-possessed boy who comes to a group of, of, of men and, and maybe women who believe in him and they can't heal how many churches do we have that are faithless? If this is the standard, how many churches would a boy possessed by a demon walk into and leave unchanged? Maybe more than we would like. And I know that obviously we have sick people who come in here all the time and leave unhealed. But our cry, our cry has to be Lord, increase our faith. Help our own belief. Because this is the model that the Lord gives us. Too often in the church, we start to create these theologies to explain our powerlessness. Right, God's not healing. I think I'm doing a pretty good job of not sinning. So there must be an explanation here that I can come up with and we have so many theologians who for hundreds of years you know say things like the holy spirit doesn't heal the holy spirit doesn't move the gifts of the spirit have died incredibly unbiblical statements you know I, th- I think we can understand the father's cry to increase our faith and we can we can probably also understand the disciples confusion Because they've seen Jesus do amazing things. And what does Jesus say to them? That this kind comes out by prayer. Okay, and it's not explicit here. But there is, I think, a really implicit, clear message from Jesus. That what, what is the one thing Jesus models for us as a man? It's intimacy with the Father. It's knowing the Father. And it's being sensitive to the voice of the Spirit. And knowing what the Spirit is doing. And so for me, this is a call into that word that I know some of us love and some of us hate hearing, uh, but it's a call to surrender. It's a call to surrender. It's a call to knowing him. And the only way we're ever going to know Jesus is by surrendering and worshiping him and loving him. And it's worth it. There's this, um, Bill, Bill sent me this quote which actually made me cry when I first read it not for good reasons, um, but uh, the theologian F.F. F. Bruce, he relates this um, story. Thomas Aquinas, in the famous theologian, 13th century, I think it was, he's meeting with Pope Innocent II. And as he goes into the, the pope's, um, into his chamber, the Pope is counting out this huge amount of money. And the Pope says, you see, Thomas, the church can no longer say, silver and gold, have I none. And Aquinas replied to the Pope, true, Holy Father. But neither can she now say, rise and walk. And, and that, that makes me weep, you know, when, when I think about um, what the Lord has called us to and the, the example that he, that he gives us in this book, in this chapter He calls us to be a people of faith who will believe in his name and will believe in his promises. And and, and I think there's a strange thing about faith. Every every man and woman that I know that operates in the power of the Spirit is marked by humility and brokenness and sacrifice. There's something about Knowing our poverty of spirit that attracts the presence of God. That makes us fall deeper and deeper in love with God. That increases our knowledge and awareness of Him. That increases our conviction that when we pray, He's going to move. And that's when church gets really fun, people. Okay? It gets exciting. Acts 1, Jesus says, I will, send you, I will send my spirit and you will speak about me to the ends of the earth. Acts 2, the spirit comes. What happens? The gospel is preached. Acts 3, what happens? The spirit moves, someone is healed, the gospel is preached. Because you have hundreds or thousands of people coming to the temple seeing this man who's been lame for 40 years and he's now running and jumping or clinging to these men because he's been healed. they is very little in this book of Acts to suggest to us that Jesus intends us to preach the gospel without his power and his mercy and his grace flowing over his children. And that's what we call to be as a church. And I'm sure over this course of series I'm going to say this 150 times. We have to understand. This is what Jesus wants. Okay. We're not asking a special favor. We're not saying, Lord, we have finally reached nirvana. Sorry to cross religions here, but you know, we're not, try- we're not- We don't have Buddha as an example to reach this place when we are perfect. That maybe we'll, reach- you know, we'll-, we'll have this way of being. Like, it's the opposite. He chooses the people who are broken to display His glory. The ones that are willing to be surrendered, willing to be sacrifices. who understand the power of His grace to wash away sin. We're not asking for anything that He doesn't want to give us. Nothing. When we ask Him to heal and to move. So very briefly, just because I'm seriously running out of time here, I was, I'd preach forever, but we have great worship leaders here, you know. So we, we want to worship again. The presentation of the gospel—I'm just going to repeat this again. The presentation of the gospel—it should be accompanied by miracles. It should be—it should be accompanied by the manifest presence of God. So you know, we—I—I I don't want you to go out and have this idea. Well, you just go pray for people, let's see them healed, and then that'll just be fun. Well, of course not. Because you, you pray for people and they're healed or they are set free and then it, their hearts are open. And we saw that in Acts 2 and we see it in Acts 3 that the power of God opens people to the gospel, it makes them receptive. Yeah, but how many times have we heard the gospel preached with no expectation of Jesus doing anything? And there is power in the word of God. Don't get me wrong, there's power. In these words, there's power to bring salvation, absolutely. But the model, okay, the model that acts for us is that when Jesus moves, when the gospel is preached, people are transformed by power. Okay, and if this is our standard, we have to start saying, okay, Lord, that's what we want. If this is the standard you set, then we're going to claim it. And we're going to ask you for it. I love it towards the end of Acts 3 when, he, when Peter's you know, he's saying repent. He's telling the crowd, your sins will be forgiven. But I love this line as well when he says believe that refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Like this is not just about your sins. This is not a John the Baptist experience where your sins are just forgiven. But once your sins are forgiven, you will be refreshed by the presence of the Lord. Okay, and for a Jewish audience, the presence of the Lord, remember, was only to be found in the temple, only to, be accessed, only to be accessed by the high priest. This is the good news of the gospel, the presence of God experienced by the sons and daughters of God, by any who believe. And we can have this confidence. How many of us know, five or six people? Who are suffering from bad anxiety or depressing depression at the moment. Who might be cutting themselves? Who may be desperately ill? Yeah. How many of us want to be vehicles for the refreshing presence of the Lord? To flow all around us. Wherever we go. This is Jesus' desire. Now He is willing to pour his presence out. He's willing to give us his spirit. He is willing to perform miracles on those who will believe in the power of his name. And then we get to Acts 4. Okay, and I'm just going to read. I've got five minutes. I'm just going to read the relevant verses that I want to hit. And I'm going to come back to this because There's four or five occasions where there's serious opposition. Um, So I'll, I'll give a dedicated chapter to this as well. Sorry, sermon. So Acts 4 says, Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. And it came to pass on the next day that the, the rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, If this day we are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is remarkable. This is the man who was scared and was hiding, saying to the very men who killed his Savior, accusing them, reminding them of their choices. And note too that the Pharisees and the high priest, they they know something has happened because it cannot be denied. And they know that it's by a name because a miracle doesn't just happen. It's by a name or a source of power. Maybe it's Satan because that's something they accuse Jesus of. But it has to be from somewhere because these are a bunch of fishermen. So what is the name? And the name is Jesus. That's it. There is no other name, as Peter goes on to say. If we turn over, sorry, on my Bible. <laughs> Verse 18. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Jesus and John, sorry, Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more, and to God you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. The Sadducees, the high priest, any religious leader, and this goes for us, okay, because we've all been taught bad theology somewhere along the line. Um, they, they have before them two men that they're amazed can preach the way that they are preaching, can defend what has just happened and actually have the power to see someone healed. They are amazed. They also can't do anything to them because the crowd is so passionately excited about what's happened that they dare not do anything to the disciples at this stage except rebuke them. That's how obvious the miracle is. There is absolutely 100%, zero indication that their theology changes at all. There is no apology for killing Jesus. There is no realization that they maybe did something wrong. There is only a desire to protect their power and their position. And they are faced with the reality of a man that they cannot deny was healed. The spirit, when he moves, will always cause offense And we will see this again, and we go to different sections where we see this happen in Acts. But you will experience it in your own life as well, and this is just a a friendly warning, okay? You will receive opposition when you move in the things of the Spirit. And even some people that you think are the most holy and the most knowledgeable of the ways of God will be blind to what He is doing. Okay? That's a great place to stop, right there. Um, (laughs) We're going to come back to our position, okay? The Lord, when he moves, will always rattle cages. And there are always people with vested interests that don't want those cages rattled. And whether it's man's systems or whether it's the devil, the Holy Spirit will rattle cages. Ryan, do you guys want to come up? while I finish here well I've still got two pages of notes but I want us to worship some more I'm going to come back to some of these things we see in these verses in Acts 4 the wonderful promise that Jesus made to his disciples in Matthew that when you're brought before leaders don't worry what you have to say the spirit will basically give you the words And Peter manifests this so powerfully. So don't ever be afraid to ask the Lord for more in terms of what he might do because he will always give you the words to say in whatever situation you find yourself. So will you pray with me? As Ryan gets ready to lead us, I'm just going to pray the prayer that the disciples pray at the end of Acts 4 which we will come back to but I want this to be our heart and maybe as we are worshipping Matt and Ryan are leading us just be honest with yourself about whether you can pray this prayer to the Lord maybe not perfectly but with, with a desire for it to be true Come, Lord Jesus. Have your way amongst us, Lord. Increase faith in us, Lord. Show us the simplicity of believing in your name. Help us to see you, Jesus to surrender to you, Jesus. May our lives bring you glory. Amen.